episode 371 of Cinematary. I'm your host, Zach Dennis, and I'm here with... Nazee Agaswana. And me and Nazee go in uh, one-on-one today, which is the two of us for this episode. Uh, we got movies that we saw this week in part one. Uh, strangely, mm-hmm. we have a theme for part one, so I guess we're going to we roll with that. Um, and then in part two, we're going to be wrapping up our uh, Young Critics Watch Old Movie series from 1989's A City of Sadness, which... Um, it's a good. I enjoyed the movie, but the the title makes it seem like it's going to be much more of a bummer, which is relatively a bummer. There's bummer moments in it. It's it's heavy, but no, I love it too. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Real quickly, head over to cinematary.com. We're going to have some uh, coverage of TIFF uh, coming up. We also have a bunch of new writing on the on the old website. I think we got a review coming up soon of. Um, Oh, what is Logan? What are, what are the new movie? Oh, Cry Macho. Logan's going to be writing about Cry Macho. Um, so uh, if you, if we talked a little bit, a little bit about that movie last week. So if you're a Clint, Clint person, we got that coming for you in a couple weeks. Um, let's go ahead and dive into our part one. Like I said, we got a theme. We got nighttime, one day. <laughs> movies yeah just like over the course of a single night and like and just constantly just uh things going wrong that's yeah so that's 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 the theme of part one um we're gonna kick it off though i caught after hours the martin scorsese film for the first time it's currently on uh, criterion channel um but it's been around it's been i've seen it on like it's been one that's been on my list for a while it's because it's it's been on like hulu and and all these other places that i've been meaning to watch it because it's always been described as like not not necessarily minor scorsese but like very underrated scorsese um and i can kind of see why um but for those who don't know about After Hours, it came out in 1985. Um, so it's Griffin Dunn, and he kind of just lives, or he, he, he works this very monotonous job as a word processor. Um, and one night he is out just at a coffee shop and he meets this girl who uh, kind of invites him to call her to, to meet up later. So he ends up calling her and she invites him to her place in Soho. And then it's just unravels from there <laughs> the rest of the movie is just the night unraveling um and him running into different uh different situations but uh i can see why this is kind of classified as like a uh as like again not a minor but a different scorsese because you think of scorsese um very much like he does have like that style you think of like goodfellas um and and taxi driver and a lot of his like very like the most the kind of obvious well-known scorsese movies and he does like have that style to him he has like you know the long one takes um and you know he just kind of has this movement with the camera that 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 you know you kind of become accustomed to with scorsese you know he, he has those like you know medium shots and like raging bull and taxi driver and stuff like that but this one this one kind of feels like he's just going he's like playing around in like a completely different world than like you're accustomed to like it, it like honestly to be on really if you didn't tell me or that like it didn't have directed by martin scorsese or i didn't know previously that this was directed by martin scorsese i probably wouldn't have guessed that it is one of his movies because it really doesn't carry a lot of those trademarks which is i'm not saying is a bad it's really it's honestly it's kind of a cool um you know kind of a cool outlier to what we know as his kind of canonical movies and honestly like uh 
I think this might be one of his better ones. I really, like, it was one of those where on the first watch, I really, really, really dug this. Um, you know, I think it's so, um, I'm looking real quickly, uh, Joseph Minion had, had wrote the movie. Um, I'm going to see. He really, he wrote uh, Vampire's Kiss and a couple other things, but nothing like gigantic uh, in terms of like film production. And like, it's such a tight script, you know, it's, it's, I think like right at or a little bit over 90 minutes. Um, it com- it com- in perfect length and immediately throws you in on that action where you know you pick it up and he's at his job and then you know five minutes later you have like this wonderful scene where he's training this guy and the guy's talking about how um he like is just gonna do this job for a little while and then he's gonna you know get into like the publishing world and griffin dunn's character's like i mean yeah okay well like what do you what are you planning to do and he like describes this whole plan to like make like a publishing company that uh everybody can kind of be involved with but then he can eventually like sell off and join like the actual publishing world which i just kind of laughed at because I, I i'm like that's just kind of like uh uh people with like very powerful like blogs or sub stacks or stuff like that it's like they do that for a while and then they sell it off so that they can go into some bigger job but uh but then it it completely rolls into like this whole um disintegrating night and like the way that they frame it where it's just kind of like hit after hit after hit after hit and you just have all these kind of strange characters popping up in Soho honestly like after seeing the Edgar Wright movie which this is a different Soho but the the last night in Soho movie which is kind of the same not necessarily the same premise but also just like a um you know, strange characters all kind of appearing in this one location. I'm like, no, honestly, like after hours is the real last night in Soho. Like it's just, it's just, he's constantly running into different faces, whether it's uh, Cheech and Chong or it's Catherine O'Hara at one point. Um, Will Patton has this super small role, Terry Gar. Um, and it's just all like, I love that every character in this, like, is is so serious about this kind of their odd monotonous like duty you know like you have the john hurd character who is this uh bartender at this bar that he goes to um and like the demeanor that he has toward griffin dunn is just like he's very serious about what's happening and then what happens over the course of the movie is there's constantly like just something kind of coming up you have like this whole central the central story around griffin dunn and and rosanna arquette's character who's the woman who he meets at the coffee shop um and that kind of connects everything together to an extent but honestly like just that like that lack of connection and just him going going to these different spaces with these different strange you know um just kind of unique people is is highly entertaining like it's just 90 minutes of him wandering around and then the movie ends which i think on the surface sounds really boring but like scorsese is able to 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 kind of create like this almost um sci-fi is not the right word but like just kind of this almost like alternate universe uh, but at the same time, it feels very like true to like 80s New York um, in a way that I really found to be incredibly endearing and very breezy. Like this movie like moves really quickly. Um, Nazi, I know you saw this uh, for the first time a couple months ago. What's what are your thoughts on After Hours? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's an easy like top 10 Scorsese. Um, 
I feel like a lot of a lot of like the best art is just when you're not even like thinking about it. Cause didn't didn't he make this while he was making another movie, like in his off time, or like while he was? I feel like he was making this during. He was making this during a movie. I don't know which movie, but he was. I like I I remember reading about that. Look at I'm looking now. It looks like I mean, um, you know, Goodfellas came a couple years later. Um, Oh, probably the color of money. Yeah, it was like some big production. It was like a big production, a movie. Yeah, maybe that or like New York Stories. We're not doing good fact checking on this, but I'll, I'll go with you. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I love it for a lot of the same reasons. Um, I remind me again how they first meet. Like they're at the coffee shop and he's like reading a book and she uh and she kind of like mentions about the book and they just kind of strike it's a very like uh it's just a kind of small conversation but she says something about how her roommate is making like these paper mach- these like these not paper mache she's making a paper mache later but like these uh uh desk weight things and she's like if yeah. you want a desk weight oh that's call right me. yeah 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 <laughs> um so like when characters meet i feel like that's a hard thing to to make it feel like kind of natural like serendipitous but that's exactly like what happens and i just feel like every guy wants that to happen in their life and let's just like and it, and it happens to him and it feels like this really just like spontaneous magical thing and um and then just what it ends up actually being is just like so not what he signed up for yeah well, it's also, you know, you think of going back to kind of how we how we view Scorsese in more of like a canonical sense. Like you think of like Goodfellas and Casino and even more recently like The Irishman where it's like these like wide ranging like, like epics that are trying to like capture this world over the course of like multiple years. And I like with this one kind of to your point that it's 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 kind of smaller just because i feel like he completely captures this world and this character and everything you know he like he, he's able to all, like capture that scope within 90 minutes on like a much a smaller scale which I'll, i always appreciate as well as like like the, the fact that you're able to encapsulate this entire universe all within this kind of tightly written script for 97 minutes it's kind of nice especially if you're martin scorsese who's known for much you know bolder broader things yeah and it very very much feels like a movie that is just a few degrees separated from like his own reality at the time like a lot of like the people and the characters feel like people he actually knows or like they're based off people he knows and you mentioned how like all the characters are very serious about what they do and that made me think of just about how like um you didn't want to use the word like science or the term science fiction, but like the like everyone was a part of a scene and each scene like like a like a cultural scene of New York at the time. And he was just like bouncing from like like lifestyles to lifestyles. And they were like much more pronounced, I feel like 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 the New York 80s like cultural scene was like really multifaceted, right? There was like a lot going on. And it's just kind of a nice, like, uh, you know, odyssey through it. Yeah, well, it's just like because Griffin Dunn's character constantly has like this frenetic, like especially as the night goes on, like this frantic energy, just kind of like this. I just want to get home, and and like they always stay like at the same level of just like 
it, like like he's not accepting the like the 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 you know the the vibes that are there yeah like, like, like just roll with it you know he's like so neurotic yeah and like um and he's such he's like he's he's a square like he's a square and all these people around him are just like you know strange and like kind of eclectic and and funny but they're just like being themselves and he like it's very much uh not like he, I wouldn't say he has like an identity crisis, but I it's just much ill like it's not it's, it's more ill defined than all the characters around him. Yeah, well, that's, and that's that's what's kind of funny is that like he's supposed to be who we latch on to, but like yeah, he, as, as you said, like he he doesn't really have a definition for himself really. But then all these people are you know you could say are stranger or you know or weirder than he is, but at the same time they know who they are. You know, like you think of like the the roommate of the. Of the woman who he meets, like she, she just is very confident and like this is who I am, this is my personality, and like, like there's something like a, 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 when they first meet Griffin Dunn's kind of like trying to, not like seduce her, but he's trying to kind of hit on her, and and it's just kind of funny because. Um, like she she definitely reads that but and, and she kind of just lets him do what she wants but she's constantly in control and that's what's interesting about all these characters they're very defined at not only just like how they're written but just they know who they are and that seems that that's almost what seems strange about them compared to him yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um but if you have not seen After Hours, I would recommend it. Like I said, it's on Criterion Channel now, but it's been bouncing. It's been on like Amazon and stuff like that. Um, I'm glad I finally got around to it. And it's a very, like a, again, it's a very breezy 90, 95 minute watch. Um, and again, I think I, I think I agree with you. I, I it would rank among my top Scorsese movies for sure. I I'd rather watch this than. Um, no offense, Goodfellas. I'm, but I'm also on like the. I'm not as into Goodfellas as other people are. So. It's been a long time since I've seen Goodfellas. I actually, it'd be, I'd be interested to see how I feel about it now. I still imagine loving it, but just placing it in like the context of all his other movies, like it's really at this point. It's really like, like it's one of those things. Not to go on a whole other thing. Like it's really fun. Like the, like there's it's there's fun parts of it. Like you can understand why people like it. I just find it to not be as like interesting as as other stuff you know like especially if we're going to talk about gangster movies i'm i'm much more interested in like the insides of the irishman which is more like kind of questioning all that then and i've and i've also become a big more of a fan of like late period uh scorsese like silence and shutter island um and things like that i recently like rewatched. um the departed which is another one that i'm like it's fun but i'm not super interested in like the interior of this movie i'm much more interested in like you know the kind of strange offbeat stuff that he's also doing like after hours yeah um i saw um what's the one with de niro he like just got out of prison um cape fear yeah i saw cape fear and that blew me away like people don't talk about Cape Fear like as much as they should. I feel like um, mm-hmm. that's another one that kind of they say is underrated. I I, I need to watch that one as well. Uh, as well, that movie's incredible. It's it's like it's really sick. Like it's a sick film, and it's like dark in a way that, like you say, is like far more interesting than. I'd say Goodfellas. Like it's one. It like easily became one of my favorite movies of his, and. Uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. I highly recommend cool. it. All right. Um, 
let's move on to our other one night of debauchery movie. <laughs> this is obviously a favorite of mine. So yeah, Mikey and Nikki, uh, Elaine May's uh, film from. This is from. 1976 uh it was playing at um a theater that i volunteer at that was having a peter falk series and this was the last one that was playing um apparently this movie was like kind of obscure for a while and it like has recently like appreciated like a like a like a cultural reevaluation, and um I can totally see why. I've never heard anyone say a bad thing about this movie, and um, I immediately loved it as soon as it was over. Uh, any movies that just like place you right in the middle of a situation, and and like it just starts going, like I love that. I I've only seen um, John Cassavetes in one other movie as far as being an actor, which was uh, Rosemary's Baby. And I thought he was like he's he's very good in that movie, but this is just like a different like register that I like like just the just the how unhinged he is like as soon as the movie starts like I was terrified the whole time like of anything he would do like I like I've I've never really experienced like that type of volatility in a, in a, in a performance before, and um, it just like. I, it would just it just like gripped me the whole time like no matter what was happening uh i was just like completely completely just like enthralled that's another one where like the whole energy of the movie is just he like you described like he's volatile the entire time and then you have peter falk who's just like like calm down like come on just, just like let's just just go over here like like you just like constantly trying to it's it's honestly the perfect uh encapsulation if you've ever had to like babysit a drunk friend um that's what this movie's energy is for the time. There's a, there's like weird emotional moments where you guys start like, you know, you have like moments and you're just like, okay, like just, you know, let's sober up a little bit. But then also like you're chasing them around, like having to like calm, just constantly go like, please chill out. Like just, just get on the bus. Yeah. And what's even more terrifying is like, instead of them being drunk, that's just their like emotional like mo right (laughs) like that's just that's just just them right and peter falk is a person i've like recently started watching movies in um i've i've just recently found out about like how much people love columbo uh and so he has it's funny that he's had he had i mean i think it's great but as far as just like he's had this whole career of being such a like a screen presence he's a very interesting face and his eyes one of his eyes kind of just like um hangs differently like is in a different direction than his other eye and it's I, I've seen all the marvels with him and it's not as noticeable in that movie because he's not as manic in it but when he's trying to like rein in John Cassavetes I just feel like it accentuates just how uh, manic the movie is <laughs> like like it's you know he he's like I they don't really make leading men like him anymore <laughs> well they and they wouldn't like i don't know it would be tough to like have have a character like that you know i think if like also you know cassavetes and falk and and ben gazara and husbands that are just like they're not super likable like they're just difficult like frustrating people and like you have to sit there like a mikey and nikki you have to sit there just with them the entire time you think about like 
I don't know. I don't see that happening today. Even, you know, I'm thinking of something like Marriage Story with Adam Driver. And, like, he, like, there's, like, that whole friction between the two characters, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson's character. But, like, I don't think there's ever a moment where they just, where Adam Driver is just so awful that you just, like, don't just like he's just kind of despicable and like there's so many moments in this movie where they just fucking suck and like but they still are the like they're still the characters you have to pay attention to yeah and like like again like at no point in marriage story am i afraid of anybody's reaction right like like i'm not afraid of just like how like intense and unpleasant it's gonna be even though it's like a deeply unpleasant movie as far as what's happening to these characters um but like god damn john cassavetes uh and like again like as someone who's been in like a friendship like that like it just really hit just really really hit um and i'm so happy we ended up getting you know the 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 version that elaine may like desired because there's that whole like uh production like drama after it was made because i guess it went like far like it went over budget and like past the deadline and so the caveat of like her having like final like creative control was her like turning it in on time so warner brothers like wouldn't let her release it like like her version um and i just like that like i just can't imagine how horrible that that would be as like an artist like i i I mean, it happens all the time, and, like, I just, I would be so fucking upset. <laughs> yeah, going into, like, if you look at, like, the history of just Elaine May with her movies post-Heartbreak Kid, you know, we talked about it when we did an episode on New Leaf, but that, like, what you see when you watch the movie New Leaf is not the version that she necessarily wanted. They, they did a bunch of, like, work on it. Um, and the same with, with, with Mikey and Nikki as well as um, Ishtar. Like, those were just just kind of fraught productions that that you know a lot of the time it was the the studio just kind of going you know not really letting her have free you know carte blanche on whatever she wanted to do with it but um no this is one i i also really like it because it you know again she kind of she comes from that comedy background it also is is funny you know it's super uh, super uh depressing and tough at times but then you also like i was telling you before we started um you also have like the ned Beatty character who is for those who don't know the story like um and, and or i've seen the movie like ned, ned Beatty's character was hired to kill john cassavetes because cassavetes character took money from the mob and so uh peter falk's character is there pretty much to kind of like give him a night and then he's going to deliver him so, so that he can get killed and like the whole movie is you have volatile, frantic John Cassavetes not committing to going anywhere. You have Peter, Peter Falk who's trying to like wrangle him in and bring him to the location so that they can like pull off the job. And you have Ned Beatty who's just like driving around the entire time just going, where the fuck is this guy? Like, I just need to do my job. Uh, and it's just like, I don't like, it's, it's a total, it's totally fucked and like terrible situation, but there's just something funny about like the, um, like the way that they're unable to like get all the things together like it's constantly just a fraught uh venture that in the end they just kind of like give up and it's super messy um i don't know i love that movie so much yeah and like you you know at no point this is going to end well like you and you're and you're just you're just watching until it happens 
Um, and you, this is like very clearly like a big influence on the Safties. Like, yeah, like yeah, this yeah. is, I mean, they, yeah, they clearly like are very influenced by this movie and for good reason. Yeah. Just the whole, the whole central, um, you know, this is going to end badly kind of feeling of it feels very, you know, akin to, uh, especially like uncut gems, just like the, the Adam Sandler character there. Yeah. That, and, and very much good time as well. Like just one night awful wrong like just terrible decisions that ends terribly <laughs> absolutely um well my game nikki is available on criterion it used to be on the criterion channel but i'm, I'm sure it'll i also saw it on like on like amazon prime just randomly like it was just randomly there so uh if you've not seen it definitely check it out it's, it's also on hbo max i believe oh cool yeah so yeah go, go watch my game nikki it's fantastic well it's not it's you know maybe uh you know call a friend afterwards <laughs> have a moment you'll get emotional but it's, it's a good time yeah no 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 watch it it's a good time all right um we're gonna take a quick break and then we will be back talking about another good time which is a city of sadness <laughs> after this hey century listeners andrew here at the midpoint of this week's episode, I want to direct you to some of the non-podcasty things we have to offer. First, if you're a fan of what we do, please consider supporting us on Patreon. For $5 a month, you get three things. A shout-out at the end of every episode, the opportunity to choose a movie we cover on the show, and our Patreon-exclusive podcast, Film Theory and Chill, in which we look at a piece of theory once a month, deconstruct it, and then just chill out, talking about whatever else we have going on. All Patreon support goes solely to paying our writers for their reviews that go up on our website every Monday. Also, at the bottom of Cinematary.com, you can sign up for our free newsletter. Every Sunday, we send out an email with the latest podcast episode, Patreon content, and written reviews. This is perfect for those who want to keep tabs on what's happening, but might be too busy to see the posts when they go up. Before I go, one more quick thing. The easiest thing you can do to support us is to give Cinematary a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. This is quick, free, easy, and we will read your review out on the show once we get it. To recap, consider donating to our Patreon, sign up for the free newsletter, and please give us a rating and review. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. of episode 371 of Cinematary. In this part, we'll be concluding our 
uh, Young Critics Watch All Movie Series from 1989's A City of Sadness, directed by Ho Shao Shin, from a script by Chu Tai Win uh, and Wu Ning Jin. Uh, the film stars Tony Leung, Chin Son Yun, uh, Sung Young Chin, Jack Cao, and Shin uh, Su Fin. Uh, soon after Japan re- relinquishes control of Taiwan in 1945, the Lin brothers face hardships from the changing culture. Bar owner Wen Hyung, uh, the eldest brother, falls fa- foul of local gangsters. Wen's son disappears, and Wen Lung, scarred by his experiences in the war, ends up in an insane asylum. Deaf-mute photographer Wen Qing, the youngest brother, decides to make a stand and fight the uh, nationalist government from China that is assuming power. Uh, City of Sadness was the first of three Taiwanese films to win the Golden Lion Award at the Venice Film Festival. The film was regarded as the first installment in a trilogy of Shaoxin's films that deal with Taiwanese history, which also includes The Puppet Master from 1993 and Good Men, Good Women from 1995. City of Sadness was filmed on location in Zhufen, a, uh, a former Japanese and declined gold mining town that continued to operate in the post-war period until the 1960s. Jufen is located in the northeast of Thailand, an area isolated from the rest of the Taipei County and Yailin County. Uh, there are only rough county roads and a local commuter rail line, railway line uh, connecting Jufen to the outside world, which designated a low priority for urban revitalization and land development. Uh, Jufin's hillside communities were constructed before the modern zoning codes were put in place, uh, so therefore it provided a small Taiwanese town feeling and atmosphere that symbolized the historical period that is presented in the plot of the movie. Uh, Ho remembered uh, remembers the town fondly as he traveled to Jufin uh, through a tourist gaze when he was young. The shooting of the scenes of tra- train travel to Jufin particularly invoked his nostalgic rhetoric and joyful memories of a high school trip there with his school friends. Uh, Shaoshen noted that the uh, train in Taiwan is a very important mode of transportation, and he would ride the train a lot. It's very hard for him to forget the connection between him and the train, and trains. Therefore, the train tracks appear multiple times in the film. Uh, by the 1980s, the new Taiwanese cinema movement was moving towards not just creating films for the people of Taiwan, but also for a larger international audience. Directors like Ho Shao Shin, um, as well as Edward Yang, noted that what they wanted to emulate. The popularity of Hong Kong cinema, which revolved around high-quality productions with strong star power to back it up. Uh, in the City of Sadness, Shaoxin uh, relied primarily on foreign investment, particularly from Japan. Japanese technology, techniques, and facilities were used in the post-production and resulted in what critic and producer Zhang Hongzi described as an aspect of high quality that could drive an international viewership. Uh, Ho Shaoxin was interested in creating a film that could tell a story about a family, specifically during the 228 incident and the White Terror by a few reasons. He cited how the death of Cheng, uh, Ching, uh, Ching Kyo in 1988 and the lifting of martial law the year prior made it an appropriate time to address the 228 incident, which uh, Shaoxin felt had been covered up by the government. He noted how books were not available on the subject, and he wanted to provide a vantage point about the story through the lens of a family. He wrote, quote, Everybody knew about the 228 incident. Nobody would say anything, at least in public, but behind closed doors, everyone was talking about it, especially in the Tang Wai movement. The 228 incident was already known, so I was more interested in filming a time of transition and the changes in a family during a change in regime. This is the main thing I wanted to capture. There's been too much political intervention. We should go back to history itself for a comprehensive 
moments of reflection, but politicians like to use this tragedy as an ATM, making a withdrawal from it whenever they want. It's which I love that. <laughs> that just that whole comparison. It's awful. So no matter what point of view I took with the film, people would still criticize it. I was filming events that, that were still taboo. Uh, I had a point of view, and no matter what, I was filming from the point of view of people in a family. Of course, it's limited by the filmmaker's vision and attitude. I can only present a part of the atmosphere of the time. In 2014, the New Yorker said, uh, how's uh, um, extraordinarily controlled and well-constructed long takes blend revelation and opacity. Uh, his favorite trope is to shoot through doorways as if straining uh, to capture the action over impassable spans of time. And in 2014, the Chicago Recorder said, A City of Sadness is a great film, one that will be watched as long as there are people who care about the movies as an art. So, on that note, um, I guess let's talk a little bit about, about just kind of our familiarity. This is, I've seen... I'll definitely have to pull up. I don't know if I actually... I don't know if I actually ever finished The Assassin, I'll be honest. So this is, I, I'm going to count this as kind of my first Hoshao Shin movie uh, in full. Uh, but Nazi, I mean, what's, what are your, what's your familiar, familiarity with him as kind of a director? Uh, I saw The Assassin first, like I felt a lot of people did. And I thought it was very gorgeous, if not a little reserved and cold as far as just, like, a viewer. Um, Like, you know, no one can, like, deny, like, the craftsmanship and the artistry going on, but I didn't really connect with it. And maybe that's just because it's not the best entry point for Ho Shaoshen. Um... After that, the movie I saw after, which I really, really love, is Daughter of the Nile. Um, That was my first uh, introduction to Ho's uh, use of, like, doorway cinematography, which I really love. Um, It is, like, the perfect uh, kind of, like context as like a viewer like you're like viewing in on like people's lives and it feels kind of um like voyeuristic and so thought of the nile is really really wonderful uh and then i've also seen the time to live and the time to die and that's a wonderful like semi-autobiographical movie about how ho shaoshin was a badass kid like he was a badass kid um and it's really wild to watch it like viewing him now as like one of the greatest like directors to like ever do it and um so yeah and then so after that um was city of the sadness so this is my fourth movie by him and uh i've loved three out of the four so yeah no and i think that this is kind of a good for those who maybe are unfamiliar with him this is probably a good entry point um you know like it it's it's we 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 can talk about it a little bit more in depth but like we talked about this off off mic but like the the kind of history around this movie i wasn't super familiar with um the 228 incident that i was mentioning that he's talking about which which is portrayed a bit like in the beginning of this movie in terms of the of like people kind of disappearing and being killed um 
but you know there's a lot of this like Taiwanese history between and they talk about it in the film but you had they were China they were they were under China for a very long time then they were under Japan and then when Japan surrendered in World War II they were given back to China um, and this is when the, this movie kind of takes place and like it's you know it, it seemed like again this is not a historical perspective like this is not a historian talking but it kind of seemed like you know china was over there you know kind of establishing itself you kind of had the the mao regime kind of coming into place and then you had this more nationalistic government that was much more embedded with around Ty, you know taiwan and, and they talk about it in the movie but like the characters kind of feel like they're the you know kind of the outcasts like 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 they're kind of just chopped liver to um you know, the Chinese government and the rest of them where, you know, they, they have like these long conversations about how they kind of viewed themselves almost as slaves under the Japanese regime. But then with, you know, in China, they were supposed to like get kind of, there's to be awarded, you know, afforded all these uh, freedoms and, um, they kind of just still feel like they're, they're unable to kind of live their lives as they want to. Um, and I think that's, what's really interesting about this movie is that, it's not like a straight like historical biopic of like let's portray this incident so that you understand it i like that hoshao shin um like frames it in here is a family that kind of comes from various socioeconomic you know levels that's kind of just caught in the thick of this changing regime and you see kind of like the trickle down of what the greater political thing is doing to people just on like this you know kind of basic living level like that was really to me that was the kind of most powerful thing about this movie that it wasn't this giant statement it was more just showing how politics kind of trickle down and affect just normal ass people uh yeah he he depicted this very like tumultuous like like political and historical event uh in the way that a lot of people experience them which is just as regular people um a lot of times when like politics and history are like displayed in films it's as um the delivery is like a politician or historian is consuming the content but no it's regular people and so he's like dramatizing history through this family and delivers it in this way that's like palatable because instead of just like learning about the history or the events it's how those events affected like the dispositions and the morale and like the mentalities of these people living like their day-to-day lives and uh that's a really it's like a perfect uh you know kind of marriage well it, it makes me think of um a movie that I really loved from a few years ago, A Hidden Life, which is a little bit more overtly um, like dealing with a, a period of history. Cause I mean, you, you get to, into more like overt um, like the Nazis in world war two in that movie. But a lot of the first kind of act of that movie is, you know, the Nazis are kind of this unseen kind of cloud in the distance and a lot of that nationalism and ideology starting to creep into the town as as it becomes more um becomes more prominent in that in, in that area of austria and in like you know that's what i really love about that movie is like the first half of that movie is just these this family kind of living its basic 
farm life and just kind of enjoying themselves. And then you start to see how people in the, in the village change, how people kind of start talking, how they get much more um, emboldened by these ideas and these, you know, and, and start kind of like voicing them. Um, and this one's the kind of the same way where, you know, you, you start to hear, you, you know, it, it kind of is more, it's more tampered. It's more, you, you like have that scene early on where, they're all around like the the table and they're eating and drinking and like political topic topics start kind of popping up and they like go oh let's not talk politics let's drink more um and then it becomes yeah, i i have not seen the movie um just i should put that out there i i, I missed it um but sorry sorry to cut you off oh no you're fine um and uh, I, but i mean no in 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 city of sadness like you have that oh sorry god you, i didn't i, yeah, I wasn't sure what, you, you have that uh, scene early in, the, in the, where they're like it's like them it's it's the it's the one brother or it's, it's the, yeah it's, it's tony yeah, long yeah, yeah, and the yeah. friend they're like around and they're like they're like talking they're like oh let's talk you know let's not talk politics let's just drink and like you kind of have where like that stuff is kind of bubbling to the surface but they kind of are constantly like going like no let's not let's not really get into that and it's interesting by you know the second half of the movie where that really becomes like the dominating force like like you can't escape talking about what's happening around you in the country um and i think that's i just my overall point is like that's the i always find it to be like an effective way of kind of conveying what is so tragic about all of this yeah uh again it's 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 this really uh humane like uh delivery of how people generally feel towards politics political issues um social issues it's like we really mostly just want to live our lives and not think about these things until they affect us in a way where we're forced to and the 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 efficiency and like the the effectiveness of voting is like a whole different conversation but just like like i feel like a lot of people like were um galvanized to vote in like the last uh two presidential cycles than you know they ever were in their lives and that's just because things had gotten to such a severe state um and the wild thing about this movie and one of like i think the really magical aspects of like what cinema can like provide is that this was like one of the this was apparently like the first movie to deal with these events and so the the public was largely like uh, like he said like everyone knew what like it happened but no one was really talking about it and now you and i are watching this you know however many years later and at this point all this information is very available to you and i but we're still learning about it um through this movie which is how a lot of people learned about it at the time and so you know like that makes this movie like effective like regardless of like what what year it is mm-hmm. no I, I agree like it's kind of one of those like like i i prefaced at the, at the top like i'm still incredibly ignorant on this historical moment but like i think it like to your point it it's so it's so effective of like displaying those those kind of more personal levels that you you understand on that level like how you know you can empathize with what they're dealing with like that's that's what's so effective about tony lung's character just over the course of the movie like how his demeanor and and how he he kind of goes about things it changes you know i think of like a scene 
early in the movie where it's it's another scene similar to what I was describing earlier where they're all in the room kind of eating and drinking talking about politics and they cut over to Tony Lung who's kind of on the side with um, the woman who he eventually marries and like they're having this kind of like really cute like kind of flirty back and forth um, and it kind of go you, you know you went from this very serious like we need to do this about the nationalist government to like this really flirty kind of like you know moment between these two um, and that shit like that's it's it's kind of just like the stark reminder that like while this stuff is is going on like he's just somebody who's you know kind of focused on living his life like that seems to be the frustration that his eldest brother has about him is he's just like you know all this stuff's happening and you're just wanting you know he he doesn't seem as motivated to get involved and um you know that's just like again that's just kind of the tragedy of it like he, he just he just wants to live his life and take his photos and live with his you know, beautiful life, and and he kind of gets captured, you know, caught up in all of these these kind of this this whole political this whole political sphere, um, and you know, eventually, you know, is is in, you know imprisoned because of it. Yeah, all of early Tony Lung's scenes like threw me off in this really strange way. Where, okay, so he's deaf, and whenever he's communicating with. Um, the woman he's smitten with he, you know he's writing on this notepad and the what they're saying to each other like pops up on a screen like uh like title cards from a silent movie and the and the music that's playing is really sweet it's really like happy sounding and you know when that's playing and we're reading the title cards like i feel like i'm watching a different movie like i feel like i'm watching like a buster keaton like slapstick movie um not slapstick but just like the 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 it has those kind of like those those like kind of you think of like the romancy moments from like a chaplin movie where he's kind of like you know yeah like yeah, that, yeah. That's, yeah that's what i'm getting at yeah um and and it's not like the the tonal shifts aren't jarring like it's very seamless and you know like it it it, it makes sense when you're watching it it doesn't you know it doesn't jar you in any way which i think is really impressive from Ho. Well, it's and it's such a stark. You know, I, I was thinking while I was watching this that I, I, I just really enjoyed any like any of the sequences with Tony Long and kind of his sphere. I really, I really never. Um, I never really got into the whole the eldest brother who owns the bar who's kind of in league with the gangsters. Like honestly, like that, that really just. I don't know, like that never was really all that compelling to me. Then you have the other brother who's who's in the asylum, um, who's kind of like in between the two of them. He's not really as as prominent. It kind of feels like it's between the youngest brother Tony Lung and the oldest brother. Um, but like those scenes were never all that compelling. But like there's something about just like that that kind of small small town small village life that he that you see portrayed for the majority of the movie with him that really captures you i i like 100 percent agree with you the, the it's but the i think one of the reasons why the movie is better than it would be otherwise is because like so those scenes you just described with like his older brother and like the gang activity i wouldn't change or take away anything from the movie because like as i'm watching like i'm clearly like anchored to tony lung's character right and so all of these external scenes at least as far as like my enjoyment just provide further like context to what he's going through like this is just more details on tony lung's life this is what he's dealing with while he's trying to live his life and 
and that just further fleshes out like his own like interiority because that's what he's dealing with yeah no and i agree with that because i mean you have to have those older brother scenes because you know he's somebody who's like trying to he's somebody who clearly sees the change in regime as an opportunity to better you know get more money and grow and 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 kind of find some prosperity and you have to have that as the counter to Tony Lung's character who like we said is completely content with like being out in his little village shooting photos and just doing that stuff and you kind of have to have those two where it shows that you know yeah it makes sense that what happens to the older brother happens to the older brother but you would think that Tony Lung wouldn't have to deal with that because he's not the same you know he's not doing the same thing he's not putting himself in harm's way but i think that the takeaway is that no everybody is in harm's way in this in this situation and that no matter what lifestyle you're you're living you're still you know and you know you're still a a target to this government yeah yeah i um whenever i'm watching you know like like as an American, like we can never relate to like another country's government just like controlling us and like being in charge of like our lives. Um, well, yeah, at least in this sense, because usually, like we would we would be that controlling. We're, we're we are we would be we are that controlling uh, <laughs> apparatus. Y- yes, what what you were talking about at the beginning as like when you were kind of breaking down like how they were under Japan and they went back to China and like even though they went back to China like it still felt like every time I hear about like the relationship it always just sounds and like take this with a grain of salt given like what I don't know about the history but it just always feels very imperialistic uh, as like China Taiwan well, well, and again, maybe this is an unfair kind of like analogy, but it, it kind of seems like the whole like kind of the you, you think of like uh, of like the, the the countries, especially around the Cold War, you know, in, in like Eastern Europe and such, you know, they, they, they were under, you know, Soviet communism. And, you know, is that any better or worse than being under American imperialism? It's kind of like you, you could say you switched hands from, oh, well, you know, we're the, we got the Americans in charge of us now instead of the Soviets. And you're like, yeah, but I mean, has, has the quality of life changed? I mean, that's that's kind of the thing they're always, you know, questioning is has our quality of life life changed? You know, you have that that whole that whole conversation between them before the the whole like the scene I was talking about earlier with Tony Lung where they're talking about, you know, there's no employment. There's, uh, you know, they're they're getting rid of all. They're getting rid of people's jobs and, and changing. You know, they're changing judges from the people who have been in town as the judge forever to people related to the magistrates that from China, you know, it's like, um, so you would think, Oh, well, like we're, we're not under the, the thumb of the Japanese government. And so that we will have more freedoms, but actually the Chinese government just kind of came in and took over everything and kind of, it made it more limited than they thought it was going to be. And so it's kind of like you're dancing with one of the devils and neither of them are good. Yeah. Do you think like there's a there's a there's a like a very particular reason this movie was funded by like Japanese investors? That was a weird a weird caveat. Yeah. Um, you know, 
I don't know. I'm just kind of pulling something out of my out of my ass here, but I think I think Japan has a little bit more um, foresight towards, or at least perspective on their past than like I wouldn't see like the U.S. doing something like this or Russia doing something like this. I think Japan is a little bit more, especially just with how. World War II ended for them and kind of what that meant to their culture, like what it, what it was, what the effects it had on their culture and their economy and everything like that. Like there was just such a culture shock after that, that they really had to kind of come to terms with. And so maybe that, maybe that had something to do with it at the same time. I don't know. Maybe it could, it could also be, you know, knowing how petty these things are, it could have just been a fuck you to China. We don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very much. Just, Definitely something to think about. Yeah. Um, the one thing I did want to talk about, you know, t- you mentioned that it has all of these Japanese influences, but you know, they, they talked a little bit about like the, the doorway shots and you also kind of have like these pillow shots of like, like I, I mentioned like the train and like the train there in the village and things like that. Like there is, this movie also kind of has this uh, somewhat of a kinship with like Yasujiro Ozu films where it doesn't have necessarily like those, qu- a ton of those super quiet moments where just they're there um, and doing stuff, but you still do. Like there's a lot of, there, there's a lot of those pillow shots. There's a lot of those just kind of looking at, you kind of just set the camera still and you kind of just get enveloped into like the, the, the nature you have a lot of like the doorway shots where people are kind of eating and you're just kind of observing that. Um, it was interesting that like you really did get this kind of, at least for me, I got a lot of these Ozu vibes while, while watching a lot of these scenes, um, throughout the film. Is that something you picked up on? Yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, like stationary shots from like, pretty far away was there ever like a like a like a tight close-up at any point i don't think so a lot of them i don't i don't think i don't think there wasn't any like tatami level shots but it was i mean it was pretty much that like medium shot behind the doorway that he favored yeah and um you know it's just really pleasant compositions that are just filled with uh you know, really interesting mise-en-scene as far as, you know, characters moving around. There's a lot of movement among the characters as far as just, like, all the dinner scenes and all of just, like, the the brothers uh, during, like, their gangster activities. Those were also were always really interesting because he shot it. He almost set it up uh, with like it almost looked like the, the Last Supper at times because you would just have like this kind of straight table and they would be all around it. Um, and like you have that one scene where you have like a woman and then gangster and then woman and the gangster woman and like like and the guys uh, the one gangster just starts yelling about why are there so many women in here? We're we're, we're talking about business. Um, but it's just like, like like the composition of it where you just kind of have like you know cl- you know again prostitute gangster prostitute gang- and like like just that whole composition of of how he kind of set up the scene and like they're like talk trying to have business around this game and all these these kind of prostitutes who are just kind of sitting there not sure really what to do other than just kind of smile um there there's there was something like really I don't know. That, that always interesting about the way he would set up those sequences when he would kind of check in on the on the gangster activity. Yeah, um, it, he he almost set them up in a way where like this character is about the, like the, the like none of his characters are like comfortable. 
like they're always in movement they're always like in flux um well not all, not any of them but like all the gangster characters as a as opposed to like the tony lung scenes which are like kind of serene a lot more still well and he's he's i mean he's also kind of in movement because you think about a lot of his especially his early scenes he you know like the 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 what's happening is happening over here and he's always like kind of like getting food or getting a drink and like kind of moving and like like kind of helping to serve them like he's never he's never stationary engaged in like the conversation yeah yeah really really good shit I'm trying to think what, what did you uh so what did you make of the ending like the ending you, you kind of have this ending where um you know tony lung's character kind of just kind of disappears because he's imprisoned um and you have this really you know talking about like the ozu shots you have this wonderful medium shot where it's you know it's it's in this it's at this table that you've seen a number of times to this point in this you know two hour and 40 minute runtime of like characters you know it's usually the oldest brother and the dad sitting there just kind of eating um and to me, there was something really like poignant about like that final shot where you see the dad sitting there eating, and I think it's one of the brothers or somebody associated, like one of the friends of the brothers or something, kind of eating as well. And it's just kind of like it's this familiar setup that you've seen over and over and over and over again, but this time it's just a little bit different. Um, and it kind of just set, it kind of sits in and sets home that, you know, again, like we're talking about the, these subtle changes, like this will stay the same, but the the faces and the people involved in it change just because of the nature of life. Yeah, um, like remind me as far as Tony Lung's character, like does he is he is he like indefinitely imprisoned? Yeah, I mean, I don't. They don't say if he like dies or anything in prison, but he's in. He he gets capped. He gets taken in by the the nationalist government, the Chinese nationalist government, because uh, his wife writes about it in that letter, um, and uh, that's why the last scene we see with him is they're taking that family photo. Um, oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the last scene is they're at that table that I think it's at the elder brother's house. Um, and he kind of has like that far back shot. It's like you kind of have the table kind of in the background and you have a couple doors in front of it. And it's, I think it's like I said, it's I think it's one of the brothers or it's a it's just like one of the friends of the brothers because you've seen him a, a bunch of times and it's the dad. and They're just sitting there eating. And you've had a couple scenes like that where the eldest brother's eating and the dad sitting there eating with him and they're talking about stuff. Um, but it, like to me, it just was really it was really poignant because it was just like after after all of this stuff, like they're still in that same movement cycle that you've seen them doing throughout the movie. But this time, you know, a couple of the faces are different because that's, you know, things have changed, even though this, this, this familiar act of like eating at this table has not changed. Yeah. I'm just, <sighs> it... I kept thinking about the title the whole time of the movie like a, a city of um because like I, I just wasn't sure how i felt by the end of the movie um and i couldn't tell like if like sadness was the thing i was feeling at that point i i saw let me let me see if i can pull it up on on letterbox i saw a really a, a good review um that kind of put to put into perspective yeah i think it's a uh, by matt lynch who is you know 
known on, on he says um, <clears throat> unable to hear or speak or scarred by war or exile from home everyone is scattered and none of these characters is, is exactly whole entire generations now fundamentally un- incapable of just being um, and that's another one by Sean Gilman was uh, reminded me this time not only of a brighter summer day which is Edward Yang in many ways it's perfect companion and counterpoint but also Ford Apache um, a generation of men wiped out and driven mad with only the women left to carry on and tell their stories and that kind of that kind of reconfigured a little bit kind of how I was thinking about this movie because it's true like you think of I don't know if you've seen Ford Apache but um, like that and Red River are good like like deconstructing American mythology movies because it's like you have these, so you know, something like Red River is Howard Hawks, you have John Wayne, um, you know, you kind of have like these figures that you know, um, but it also like has this, 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 this kind of melancholy to it of like they're just kind of holding on to, they're holding on to this myth, they're holding on to this legend, they're holding on to this past that's clearly like not only slipping away, it's just gone. Like it's leaving. It's just the, the, everything is, is, is changing and, and modernizing and they're, there's just not a role for them. Um, and, but they're still kind of held on to this mythology. And like, I think that that's kind of like, I, I understand that comparison for this because it's like, um, you know, all this whole family, you know, you have, you have a scene early on in the film where the eldest brother's talking about his family. And he's, I think it's just right after their mom dies and she, he talks about how she's left these four these four children and it's like him you have the brother who just like left and went to the philippines you have the one brother who's you know in the assailant asylum and then you have the tony Allen character who's deaf and just kind of living his life and i think like like the sadness is at the end of this movie because of circumstances that had really nothing to fucking do with them like it, it was all it was all political bullshit that had nothing to do with them they're they're scarred and their lives are just up you know one is dead you still don't know where the brother is in the philippines the one is still you know completely mentally scarred from the war and tony lung is in jail um and it's just like all of that because of again they didn't do anything that it was nothing that they like created it was nothing that they instigated it was just like this whole generation just kind of wiped out um for for, and some, for what and for what yeah like, like for, what like and why, for what what happened you know and so i think that's i think that brought some perspective to it to me yeah everything you were just saying is when you think about how terrifying it is that the thing that like caused all of them like the 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 various issues in their lives is like not even around anymore like it's gone like the people the people the ideologies like the culture like you don't even have like a like a, like something to point at that's like still around yeah and not not to like let's you know let's get current events with this but like i like it was making me think a little bit about like what we're going through today where you know you have this pandemic you just have like these these political ambitions of you know people on both sides to like because they you know they want to do this and they want to do that and you're kind of you know you think of like the encroachment uh, in like the future that that we have with like something like climate change and like the the, the reality that we have to live with in, in the next 20 to 30 years and like it, it makes me un 
unwilling to like really get invested in what's happening today because I'm just like you guys are sitting here and pissing contests against each other for stuff that who gives a shit because in like 30 years the you know we'll probably be burned alive by the climate that you've just kind of given the finger to for for decades and decades and it's just like you know what was this all for like what was like what 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 was the point of all this stuff like you're just killing people for nothing you know and like i think that's kind of the that's the, that's kind of the that's the city of sadness is you, it's just you you wiped out this whole generation this whole family and what the fuck was the point like what was it for you know yeah supposed people like that are like in positions that are like for like the the masses but like any any positive or negative thing that we get is like a consequence of like their own like like vanity projects it's all ego yeah 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 and yeah it's it it's, feels bad man <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not it's a, like in this that's where it's like there's uh, it's kind of like oh that's the city of sadness um yeah and so like, i think you know i think those the, both of those like kind of short reviews really did put it in perspective of like you know then you also have like the the women character in this movie you know you especially i think i i really like the 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 actress who played the wife of tony lung's character like she too she was yeah she really just has like this um this kind of innocence to her face you know like like she's never like she's constantly kind of processing everything but she also just kind of has like this her face almost is like is is just going like why can't like this just be easier (laughs) like why can't this just be easier um and like you think of like the scene where he's describing to you to to her his trip that he took out to go see that friend of theirs um who like is kind of hidden in the wood uh, hidden in the jungle that he just is is not going to come back because he just doesn't want to he doesn't he literally just doesn't want to be involved in like this whole political um you know thing happening and like the way that she just kind of like breaks down um, between that scene and like the, the scene when she breaks down, when he brings her the, the, the message that says pretty much, I'm, you know, he's going to jail or they're going to come for him. Um, like there's just something about like, it's not just sadness to it's, it's her being sad to what she's like. She's not re, just reacting to it, but it's also like the sadness of like, there's just this inability to just live normally. Like there's just constant, like this constantly is just encroaching in, her desire to just live her life normally yeah and she she just has a really pleasant presence like she very much like gives the energy of like a loyal like ride or die like person in your life like um yeah i I really really enjoyed her her character too um sean sean gilman's review makes me like i've had a brighter summer day like on my shelf for like however long and i I just i and i know like i'm gonna love every minute like the 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 runtime isn't even an issue because yeah well i know i know also uh, if nadine was here she would also i know yee yee was a big one for her and so that's another edward yang so between brighter summer day and yee yee like those are two that are definitely 
up on my list now even though the run times are like three hours yeah i i literally don't have like any particular reason but i've only seen one edward yang it's the terrorizers i saw it years ago i was like on amazon i'm like let me just watch this and i immediately knew it was like, very early in like my, my like serious film watching days but i it's one of those things where, like i saw that and i just even without having the language to describe why i'm just like that's one of the greatest things i've ever seen just 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 immediately just you know just incredible just incredible so yeah you, yeah no yeah yeah no I'm, I'm with you i like the both like both of those i, I definitely want to i know also you know in terms of uh hosho shaoshin um uh raise the red lantern andrew is a big is a big uh champion of that film um which is another one that's kind of tough to find um but i know he really he, he's a big fan of that one i i believe that's zhang yimo is it zhang yimo yeah i'm getting it mixed up i apologize uh, i'm getting so many you know no yeah come I, on, it, dude. <laughs> it happens um Razor Red Lantern has been hard to find for a while um this australian boutique called imprint uh, just released or announced like a whole box set of his stuff. It's his. It's all his collaborations with the the actress in, in those movies, um, and I don't I don't know her name. Shame on me, but um, that's a big deal because yeah, Razor Red Lantern like was available and like was not like in great condition for a long time, and this was the first like HD like public copy that I've ever heard of. Uh, I'm gonna find her name out of respect for her. Yeah. Um, but for those, you know, as, as we kind of wind down for those interested in checking out a city of sadness, I watched it on the, if you Google the internet archive, they had a, a decent cut of it with it, but, but at the very least they had English subtitles. Um, but we, I mean, we were talking about it off mic. This is kind of a difficult movie to find, um, for, for whatever really, reason. Yeah. I couldn't really find a reason why it was difficult to find, but it seems like a natural, like, um, a natural film for a Criterion or a Kino Lorber or something, something like that to pick up and kind of give a restoration and a re-release. Yeah. By the way, her name is Gong Lee. So there's a whole sweet box set coming out at the like end of this year um, with Zhang Yimou and Gong Lee. Nice. Yeah. Um, I just watched, I saw the new, the latest Zhang Yimou film at TIFF and was not super into it. <laughs> I've I've heard it. I have heard it's okay. He has like two new ones out, right? And the other one's supposed to be more interesting. I watched the the one I saw was the the one second. Yeah, I yeah, pretty much heard ac- across the board. It's just it's it's whatever. It's just that I don't. It's yeah. It's like about um. <laughs> let's just let's just go in a whole thing. Like no, it was like it was like about um this guy. It's it's like about like supposed to be about the love of movies and the importance of movies and. I don't really get that. Or I didn't that's, really get that. That's really hard to make not like cheesy. This one was yeah, it's but it's like it's all about like this guy who and you have like these orphans and I don't know. It was just kind of you have this one guy who's literally literally named Mr. Movie who's a projectionist. It was just a whole it was a it was interesting. Shout out to Obayashi and how and Hausu. Um Cliff Walkers has gotten better better reception and that's came out apparently this year so I guess that's like the new Yimo to see there you go yeah I, I, I would I would just say skip one second um all right well I think this was a this was a good one to end on it was a, you know I think another successful young critics watch old movies um 
That will wrap up this episode of Cinematary. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cinematary on Facebook and Twitter on, on Twitter and Instagram at, uh, at cinematary and on Letterbox at letterbox.com slash cinematary where we post all the movies that we talked about in this episode. Uh, head over to patreon.com slash cinematary if you'd like to support the show. Um, thank you so much to Cam, Chad Newsom, Christina Daughtry, Corey Willingham, Harry Eskin, Candace Sisson, Ron Hayes, Tyler Chandler, Whitney Rio Ross. Thank you so much for your patronage. Next month or next week uh, for that for the next month we're going to be getting into we're going to become less serious than uh, I think we've been in the last few weeks and we're going to be doing what we're going to be calling October and that's O-C-T O-G-R-E um, we're going to be digging into the Shrek franchise but it's not just let's watch the Shrek movies it's also kind of like us you know it's it's celebrating 20 years but it also has like this deep meme affinity like this kind of internet culture behind it that i at least for me i kind of want to talk about the the kind of pop cultureness um the 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 lasting effects of pop culture and internet culture related to shrek and why it's something that endeared for so long and has kind of like developed into these like weird things like at the end of the of the series we're going to be talking about like the musical and this this um uh, internet uh, reinterpretation of it called Shrek retold that it's you know like that people have kind of like taken on the whole franchise so I'm 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 kind of looking forward to it but uh, that's what we will be doing for the month of October. Was this uh, was this born out of response to that Shrek hit piece that came out a few months ago? No. <laughs> I, no, it kind of it kind of came out. I watched I watched Shrek for the first time in a lot like the first time where I watched it from like beginning to end in probably years. And I was just like, guys, Shrek slaps. No, it, do- <laughs> like, no, it, it does. It's a classic. Like, it's a classic. And the, like, I watch, but it's also just just strange fucking movie. It's so I don't know how it got made. Strange. I don't know how they like. And then, and, and you watch Shrek two, which is uh, even better. I think Shrek two might be my favorite. It's been um, years since I've seen the second Shrek. Like, I have the first Shrek, yeah. like like scene for scene in memory, like just easy. And that's what was, and so like we'll talk about that next week. Like that was what was amazing about Shrek is that you know this movie. I feel like there's like everybody knows this movie. It's ingrained in your mind, and like it's just weird. It's like why is this ingrained in my mind? So that's something we're gonna be digging into over the next month. I'm kind of excited about it. But uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you for some some Shrek next week. Mm-hmm.